Welcome to the Shift Daily Podcast. I'm Shane Hewitt. It's a daily bite-sized morsel of our four-hour middle-of-the-night program. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. The Shift Daily Podcast starts right now. The Big Lead on The Shift. Last night, not tonight, when Chris went on an ex- expletive-ridden uh, tirade about uh, frequencies and t- uh, towers, broadcast towers in the West Coast, which may happen again, by the way. Last night, Chris won an expletive-ridden tirade against people who have a problem with masks. In fact, he was actually quite put off by it. Uh, today, WestJet has now joined Chris in this rant. Here is a report from Global News. Wake-up call for some passengers aboard a... An unexpected wake-up call for some passengers aboard a red-eye WestJet flight. The flight was canceled over a mask dispute. Tomasia De Silva joins us now with more on what happened, Tomasia. Well, it all depends on who you ask. The family, which was flying from Calgary back home to Toronto, has one version of what happened. WestJet has another. What we can see in this video provided by the family is that crew members did approach them, advising masks were mandatory. The family says they then put a mask on their three-year-old, but struggled to put one on their screaming 19-month-old. That's when things escalated. My wife said, give me a few moments. I'm, you know, she never put a mask on a child so little before, but let me just kind of wrap it around and get it around her. And my daughter naturally starts to panic. And she said, I'm asking you the last time, because the next time it'll be police that will come here. They will arrest you and you will leave with your child. Now, as you see there, police did arrive and they advised the family they would be escorted off of the plane, but no charges were laid. The family says it all doesn't make sense since Canadian transportation rules state only kids over two have to wear a mask. And their three-year-old was wearing one, as shown in this video, taken after the incident. WestJet wouldn't say which child was asked to mask up due to privacy, but did say crews have access to guest manifests, which specifically state the passengers on board who are exempt and are simply enforcing the federal policy. All right. Um, yeah, so there have been articles that go the other way, in fact, and say that they have said who was being asked to mask up. So I, I'm going to get into this a little bit here. I'm not quite sure why this is a big deal. Now, I guess it unfolded terribly. As consumers, when we are going on a flight, the, the in the clip right there said, I'm trying to put a mask on a 19-month-old because I've never had to do that before. Okay, so if you're taking your kids on a flight, there are a couple of things you come prepared for. You know, you bring some extra diapers, you bring some extra food. You know, the air pressure is probably going to make your kids cry. So you probably bring a sucky thing like a soother or a toy or a bottle or something. Same thing you do for little kids. Give them something they can get in their mouth. This is what parents do. So the simple statement of we've never had to do it before, that's weird. Uh, Also, it's a Transport Canada rule as quoted by the statement in the article. So as if you're flying, if you're going to get on an airplane in these unprecedented times, as we hear 18 times a day, wouldn't you do a little reading to say, hey, what am I supposed to know? Because I also think that if if the rule is two years, as quoted by the article, wouldn't you want to know that as a parent? My kid's 19 months old, and my understanding of the rules was they don't need to wear a mask. Can you help me understand? It's mind-blowing to me that it even gets to this point. Now, people on the flight have said it wasn't the 19-month-old that was being asked to mask that uh, it was the three-year-old. 
I don't know. I, I don't buy it. I don't. And I don't want to sound cold and I don't want to sound callous in this. But if you're going to be traveling in today's world, you need to know what you're in for. So if you're going on a flight, Chris, you're in Vancouver. And if you're going to go to Winnipeg today, do you look it up if masks are mandatory in Winnipeg before you go? Um, I No, I wouldn't because I would wear one anyway. That's a good point. But, but I, get you, I, get, I get your point, though. Yeah. No, you, yeah. you would want to know what, what's up. Yeah. Right. Anyway, uh, let's go to Evelyn in Winnipeg. Hi, Evelyn. Hi. Um, it's, it's nice to hear your voice again, Shane. Um, situation with WestJet, I find it really weird because, you know, when it comes to legalities, right, you know, if, if, you know, if you're going to lawyer up the progressive situations like this, um, they would switch the child around, you know, because the fact is, it's like, you know, the COVID is a new experience having like mandatory masks in certain what situations. What do you mean switch the child like- around? Help me understand that part. Well, okay. For instance, okay, if they're claiming that it was the three-year-old, right, mm-hmm. you know, that that was having having the fussing moment of putting the yep. mask on. Yep. Why are they mentioning the fact that the 19-month-year-old was the one that, that was having a fit, not the three-year-old? Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, well. So, so that, that's we... the difference in the story. Just to be clear on that statement, uh, Ev, is that uh, the family says it was the 19-month-old. WestJet and other passengers have said it was the three-year-old. So this is a, a, a he yeah. said, she said yeah. scenario. Because when people when people mention lawyer, okay, they start getting all of their you know their ducks in a row in situations like this because the fact is they were mentioning police. They're mentioning all of these things that you know that are new to people right now with with traveling in the COVID. Right. And the situation is, is the fact that, okay, cops have more to do with their time than having to stop a WestJet flight. Well, in all fairness, uh, the police in this case, that's exactly what they're there for, because they're airport police, um, in all fairness. Um, You know, I do get your point, though. You're right. Right. I mean, I get your point. You think that they would be out looking for bad guys and doing the things that they do. But yeah, I'm not I'm just trying to be clear. I'm not trying to dispute or argue with. Oh, I know. I know. But the thing is, it's like the switcheroo of the kids. See, you know, one is oh, mentioning, you know, the crowd is yeah. mentioning the three-year-old. The, uh, you know, the actual family is mentioning the 19-month-old, right? right. So the I situation, yeah. yeah. But you know, Shane, you know, good luck with this this topic because it's very sensitive. It's very sensitive to everybody with this mask wearing thing. With everything. Well, the rules. Yeah, there's a text that just came in here, Evelyn, and I think it's a great text. It does say rules are rules, and the rule does say two years old. And I'm quoting the article. I have not read the rule. Um, and yeah. so, you know, so if the rule is two years old, I would ask the question, how are you supposed to prove how old the kid is? Um, my yeah. son walked on a plane this summer and they asked him for his ID and he said, I'm really? 15. Wow. Right. And they, and she looked up at him. My son's six foot four and a half. She looked up <laughs> at him and she said, you're 15. And, uh, he was like, yep. And she was like, okay, then you don't need ID. Have a nice day. Right. So, I mean, how are you supposed to prove the kids three? If the rule is two, the rule is almost unfair. Because how are you supposed to well, re- prove that? Then right? they have to prepare with situations. Okay, make sure that you have your child's birth certificate as your ID, proving that the child is this age type of thing. I guess if you're going to go to technicality here, yeah, but so let's the be prepared, situation right? I mean, is is the fact that if the family, if you can't vouch for the family's word, then how can you vouch for the words of everybody on the plane? Like that's mm-hmm. just it. I don't, I don't understand. Well, you know, it's confusing for sure. Well, and WestJet's also, in the confusion of all this, Evelyn, WestJet's not going to cancel a flight for no reason. I mean, it's expensive. 
I know and it all is. those passengers have to be accommodated. Plus, you know that there's going to be another bunch of people that are pissed off because they're not going to where they were supposed to be going. They've planned for this, right? So, of course. you know, I mean, they're they're also not going to do that. So they're accountable to Transport Canada, right? Plus the safety of the passengers. Plus they feel like everyone's lit up on the plane. They're not going to do it. And it sounds like that, you know, they just made you know, all of the decisions that they could make. So on this particular case, I would say, when does the video come out of the people who are on the plane? Because, you know, somebody was rolling the, the, the camera. Well, of course they work. Everybody's got a smartphone. Everybody's got a camera on their phone. I'm like, you know, like, like I said, like I said, you know, this whole COVID business is bringing out the ugly in everybody. Like, it's just it unbelievable. Yeah. Everybody's, but anyways, everybody's scared. But I, I, lot, you know, this is a very sensitive topic for a lot of people. It is. And it's not easy. Thanks, Evelyn, for the call. You're welcome. Um, You're welcome. You, can, you can hear the fear right in everyone's story that they tell. Uh, Evelyn from Winnipeg. Ian, now in Ontario. Hey, Ian. Shane, are you kidding me? Six foot four and a half? Yeah, well, I know. Try feeding him. No, no, no. Seriously, when he was a baby, did you have to stand on a chair to give him a bottle? Well, he was actually, he was really long. Yeah, he was. When he was Holy born. Jesus. Oh, my God. Tell me you're taller or you're on the same No, I'm only six one. so. Oh, well, that, okay, well, hey, he's got, fuck, well, he's got three and a half inches on you. <laughs> Plenty. So, uh, anyway, you're calling about uh, WestJet. It's called, no, no, it's not WestJet's WasteJet. Why? Because they are the most, oh, I don't care who they say they are. But two years ago, I flew, I fly to Cuba. I was, I was going for a four month trip mm-hmm. and there was, and I get there and five minutes before they closed because it's automatic uh, luggage inserts. No, we're done. I said five minutes. She goes, yep. I said, and there was a storm, a snowstorm. There's 75 people in line at yep. the WestJet, WasteJet lineup. Uh, let's so uh, let's uh, lineup. Ian, Ian, if we're going to do this, you want to be heard respectfully? Let's say. Uh, yeah, know, let's I just, apologize. Come on. But I'm going to tell you what happened. Not just me, but 75 people. Mm-hmm. So they had to rebook. So I get mm-hmm. to, and, to the final line. And I said, okay. She, he says, okay, you want to rebook? I said, yeah, okay. When's the next flight? He goes, Next Saturday. Yep. I'm going for four months. Yep. And there's people that are in line. They're going there for. Well, one let me week. ask you some questions here quickly, Ian, about uh, about airplanes. Do you know that there are regulations on airspace and arrival times at airports? Yes. Do you I know do. That, that there I are there because are because of a snowstorm. There was a snowstorm. No, 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 no. That's not the arrival line. times I'm talking about, Ian. So there are there in certain situations, especially with international travel, if you're yeah. flying in a plane, and I know this specifically um, from my time around aviation, plus the fact that I have a friend who flies charter. So, yeah. for example, I'll use his. When he was flying into the Florida for the Super Bowl, he had a yeah. seven-minute window to arrive. Okay. And if he did not arrive in the window, the fines for that, and he would have had to find another yeah. airport. So that happens okay. with everything. That happens in all the big airports. It happens in New York. It happens all over the place. So, okay, for example, if that there. plane leaves, no, oh, come on. No, I heard you. If yes. if if that if that plane leaves late and doesn't yes. make its window, it's possible that no. they don't make Cuba. Well, no, but well, okay, I understand that. Okay, so I'm, what my point of that is minutes. that there are rules at play here that we also don't understand. No, it's understandable, but five minutes. Because we're there three hours early. Everybody's got to be there three hours early. I understand. So because we're snowstorm, we're there two and a half hours, and there were 75 people in line that had to rebook. 
Okay. And well, I, I thank uh, you for sharing your story, Dare. Uh, Ian, I do appreciate you sharing your story. We weren't, this wasn't a pile on WestJet conversation, but I did want to hear your story because you took the time to call. And I appreciate that. So thank you for that, Ian. Um, I hope that uh, the next time you travel, that it works out. And my suggestion for you and for me in this conversation is that maybe we can, um, maybe we can dig into some of the other reasons why these things happen. Because I know that there are a lot of reasons why things happen. And to just start name calling um, because you missed your flight, or they said the flight was full. It happened to me once. I was in uh, San Jose, and um, I was in line. There was a football team in front of me, and it was loud. And the uh, the counter lady had come forward and said, apparently had said, if anybody's on this flight, come to the front of the line. I was behind these guys, and these these guys were football players. They were huge. They were like six four. They were big dudes. They were like walking houses. And um, by the time I got to the front of the line, they said, oh, your flight's closed. You've missed it. They said, what are you talking about? I'm behind all these people. And they said, no, we called for it. And I said, no, no, but I didn't hear it. Like, it's not my fault. I was behind a football team. Anyway, so I mean, so things go wrong when we travel. They do go wrong. That's my point. This is the Shift Daily Podcast. This is like a mixed bag jambalaya of text messages, but I want to acknowledge them because you took the time to send them in. I've, we were talking about WestJet and the masks and those, uh, the, the family that uh, left and the flight that was canceled because of the mask thing. Uh, Texter says, I've never had a bad experience on any airline. However, on the way back from Orlando in the Minneapolis airport, which is a great airport, by the way, has a little tram in it. It's kind of cool. While waiting for our flight over the PA system, attention customers bound for Edmonton, your plane is broken. <laughs> it's broken. Yeah, I don't know if that <laughs> does that build your confidence if they come on. Is is that just them being transparent and honest, or is that like mm, didn't need to know? I mean, at least they, at least they were upfront about it. I will give them that. Yeah, I don't know. About broken. It's Broken's broken. Scary to me. Yeah. Uh, Trucker Brian says this. Matt, you'll like this one. It's uh, guitar like. I am now a devote, because we were talking about guitars. What do you play, Matt, again, for everyone who didn't hear it? Uh, an Epiphone ES-335, favored by folks like George Harrison, B.B. Uh, King. Um, Matt MacArthur. Matt MacArthur, et cetera. All right, and uh, which, by the way, the Traveling Railberry song, which we played earlier, uh, there was a Thanks, Matty, that came in for that one. Want to acknowledge that one, too. Yeah. Brian says, I uh, now have, I now am a devoted Ibanez guitar customer. I have four. The neck easily fits my freakishly small raccoon hands. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, no, like the um, Ibanez makes good guitars. And uh, with, um, with regards to the neck, um, the easiest way I can explain this is that some guitars are really easy to play and some guitars are really hard to play. Like if you really, it's all about how much you mash your fingers on the, on the neck. And mm -hmm. if it's really hard for you to mash it on the neck, then it's obviously going to be very hard for you to play. The easier it is, the more comfortable of an experience you'll have, and you know, the better your you will sound. I've actually taken one of my guitars in for a uh, chiropractic adjustment on the neck, and uh, expecting it tomorrow, I believe. Really? Yeah. Um, so you know, in the frets, like um, the little bar that's there in between each fret. Yeah. Um, some some guitars seem really really hard to get that string in there, and some of them don't. And is is that a guitar design thing, or is that a string thing, or is that my incredibly weak hands? Oh uh, no no no! It's um it's all it's it's probably down to the to it's what's called the action. You know, if you have easy action, then you can uh, 
then you can play it uh, much better. Like it's all, it's all about the action and how it's all set up. And if it's, oh, it's all about the action, buddy. It's all about the action. I, I'm that's that's it. It's all about the action. <laughs> Not only guitar advice, the, some intimate details for you for your home. The easy action will help you get the action. Let's put it that there way. It is. Oh, there. Oh, really. Again, some insight of what goes on in the MacArthur household, I tell you. <laughs> All right, uh, we're going to kick off with musicians on Are You Okay? Are You Okay? 877-399-9898. Your calls, your texts. Always welcome to contribute if you are or are not okay with our Are You Okay? Let's get started. Are You Okay with Madame, Madame Tussauds removing the wax sculptures of One Direction? What? No way, man. No way. Wait. No way. I say no way. There is no way. Come on, man. Come on. How can you remove they, one direction? Yeah. They only go one direction. It's inside. They can't go outside again. There's two directions. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Harry Styles, I don't know what this clip is. Let's just play the clip. What's going on? Wait, wait. Yes, you do. There's, there's a script. Well, there's no script. Is there? Wait, wait, let me have a look. It, it should say what it is. I had put it in there, what you had given me. <laughs> All right. Anyway, it's from 2013, and it's a clip of Harry being sculpted in 2013. Ooh, let's hear oh. it. All right. I'm Jim Kempton. I'm a principal sculptor at Madame Tussauds, and uh, I've just been sculpting Harry Styles. I met Harry in uh, January, and... At that point, we uh, take about 200 measurements and about uh, 400 photographs. So discuss what sort of expression uh, that Harry would like to have for the portrait. Having got all the information at the sitting, it was then great to be able to bring it back to the studios and uh, try and capture that playful smile in the clay. You can't totally rely on on it just suddenly working. You need to really make sure that every little nuance of that smile is captured. So I had no idea it was that detailed. The, um, the statements from Madame Tussauds that I found in the article are um, that the, 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 they can take away the, this quote is the best. Uh, Madame Tussauds can take away the wax figures, but no one can take one direction from my heart. That's beautiful. Well, they broke, they broke up last year, right? Well, quite a while ago. Yeah. Um, because uh, Zane left, right? And there's Harry and Liam and Louis and Niall. Now Niall's got his career. Uh, Louis, uh, Liam's got his career. Harry's crushing it. I mean, he is crushing he looks, it. He looks like kind of a, a young David Beckham meets Elton John stylistically. Like, it's pretty cool. He was definitely the, uh, the, the Paul McCartney of the group, if... Uh... <laughs> if we're making comparisons uh, here. <laughs> uh, oh, you've upset Chris. Uh, Don't upset Chris. No, but like, <laughs> you know, for, yeah, One Direction, yeah, you could say it's, you know, very disposable kind of pop, but yeah. But Beautiful, that's a that's an excellent song. That's an that's excellent pop song right there. Yeah, love a Beautiful. A banger. Oh, <laughs> so a banger. You don't know you're beautiful. Oh. Uh, oh, you know, their yeah. songs, man. Like, look, they made a bunch of money and their solo career stuff they're doing now. And my daughter has loves Harry Styles. I bought her tickets to the show in Vancouver uh, for last month, which is now happening 12 months, 11 months from now, maybe. Um, 
it, I mean, the, they're talented. I'm sorry, but they're absolutely ridiculously talented. Why are so, they leaving the museum? Why are they removing them? Oh, because they've all broken up and they've moved on and they've all got but their own thing. But and... they must have, so they must have bands. In the, well, I haven't moved on. They, they, they must have bands in that museum that you know have broken up or like dead or, or something that they still keep there. I just feel like they have something against Harry. Against Everyone Harry? has something against Harry. You think so? Yeah. I against Zane. Zane was the jerky one. I think they're jealous. <laughs> Oh, yeah, the jelly. Could be. They're so jealous. That's all it is. It's blatant jealousy of how beautiful he is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh, excuse me. <laughs> that made me cough and laugh so hard. All right. 877-399-9898. Um, I, I don't know. Is this, do we have a One Direction song coming up, or did you, like... No, we don't. ...successfully avoid... <laughs> I wasn't asking you. I was asking the music guy. But clearly, um, Chris has stated his opinion that he's not looking forward to any um, One Direction or anything coming up. That's for private times only. Unless <laughs> unless One Direction ha hail from Winnipeg or from Calgary, then, yeah, they're not coming up here. <laughs> All right. Nope. Fair enough. Understood. That was clear. Are you okay? Are you okay with drivers drawing their own license plates yeah that's, yeah. that's pretty creative I, yeah it sounds fun i'd say i'd say points for creativity but legally i would say it's very suspect i would say that um i'm okay with uh finger paintings i'm okay with crayons i'm okay with maybe little um play-doh sculptures that they want to put on their car and let <laughs> me put them in a kiln um, I, I think, you know, like, just do it to your heart's content. Express yourself. Um, are you okay with drivers driving their own license plates? You know what? For the amount of people that I see driving along with no license plate. Exactly. I would say, yeah, absolutely. Drive your own uh, license plate. Police in Kentucky said they conducted a traffic stop when they spotted something suspicious about the vehicle's license plate. It was homemade. Police in Kentucky pulled over a driver after noticing something a little off about his license plate. Here's the problem. <laughs> he drew it himself. <laughs> Looks like he used a little bit of marker there. Yeah, it's good effort. I mean, I think that's stencil. Yeah, that might be stenciled. <laughs> got, went to Michael's, got the stencils, and then went for it. Police in Millersburg, Kentucky said he might have gotten away with it except for one crucial detail. He forgot to draw the registration sticker. The sticker always gets yeah. you. Yeah. It does. When they pulled him over, they also found he forgot to get insurance to and was driving on a suspended license. So there are a few things the that were going wrong there. Yeah, that's perfect. Good effort. Look at this. Is this cute? Are you okay wow. with drivers drawing their own licenses and registration stickers? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's creative. That's... I got to say, I mean, that's, that's pretty all right. I, if you could come up with a one that looked good and worked, and um, that's great. I think if you did let your kids do it, that would be even better. I mean, I would rather do that than stand in line at some horrible automotive agency and with under the fluorescent lights with like everyone else who just feels like death because they're hungover or something. You know, I'd rather just stay at home and get out the colored pencils and you know have a nice time. I 
I kind of imagine, I'm trying to imagine what like, you know, Van Gogh or Picasso or Pollock would have, you know, drawn for their license plates. Yeah. Some great scribbles. I just the little, the art. Uh, text comes in, Madame Tussaud might have the power to remove One Direction figures, uh, says Brian. Damn but she will man. never be able to remove my ginger spice tramp stamp. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, that's an image. That's, that spices up your life right there. <laughs> oh, man. Matt. Every boy and every girl. People of the world. <laughs> <laughs> Are you okay? Are you okay with snow in September? I'm happy as a um, permanent appreciator of winter and gloom and uh, dark and dusk and the night. Um, I am happy with snow. Growing up in Alberta, I took snow for granted and we never get it out here in Vancouver. So I'm I'll, I'm always okay with snow in September. Christopher? Um, hmm. I mean, yeah, because I like snowboarding. So I'm kind of okay with snow any time of the year. But at the moment, in terms of the weather, I'm not really okay with anything that's going on. Why? Was it not a nice day for you? That was a great day here. I'm thinking about everyone else along the West Coast, where it's like, ah. it's like apocalypse now is happening. Like, yeah, they can't see anything. All, all the way down the West Coast, yeah. yeah um, smoke everywhere. And, and then like a, a few hundred, you know, Ks to the east or whatever, there's like, um, you know, it's dumping down in Colorado and such. So, so um, yeah, I'm, I'm really going to okay say, I'm going to say I'm not okay with snow in September. Uh, the irony is, is it has snowed here where I broadcast from just north of Calgary in September, and it was the same storm that this story is about. Colorado saw a 13-degree drop in 13 hours. It was dumping enough in Breckenridge. You could almost, uh, so cold, you could almost go skiing. This is a meteorologist from CBS Denver. This is Colorado. We're used to big temperature swings, but usually when we see something like this, it's wintertime. It's not summer. Pretty remarkable just how fast things changed with this. All right, so here's the radar. This goes through about uh, 8 o'clock in the morning if you're watching this later in the day here on Facebook. And you can see less and less green on this map and more and more blue and white showing up, indicating that transition from rain over to snow. Statewide view, the storm system is uh, moving in from the north. It's moving in from up here in uh, Wyoming. And this is just, again, such an unusual situation for us. Yes, we get summer snow in September uh, on a somewhat regular basis, usually in the mountains. It's been 20 years since this happened in Denver. But if you look all the way back, it's about once every five years or so. But usually when it does snow in Denver in September, it's late in September, not early in September, which just makes this uh, quite extraordinary. So there is, was the, uh, the snow timber in Calgary. I mean, it happens here, which was like obliterated trees. I think in uh, Winnipeg, on CJOB, we've upset a couple of people, maybe uh, giving them the shivers. Hell no snow from Winnipeg. That was all the text said. <laughs> so if you're in Winnipeg and it's beautiful weather and you're appreciating this right now, I'm sorry that we said the S word. My apologies. I did want to acknowledge a text message that came from Lara. And it reads this. I've seen this meme before, but I'll read it to you. It says, welcome to Alberta. 
Winter is at 6 a.m. Spring starts at 10 a.m. Summer is at 2 p.m. And fall starts around 4.30-ish. Dress accordingly. <laughs> Which could not be more true. That's really dead on, Lara. Uh, is absolutely dead on. And um, Doug says, snow in September? Hell yeah, bring it on. Um, you know, it's it's a funny it's a funny notion as the uh the Christmas stuff is out at Costco and the pumpkin everything is everywhere. And it, it is interesting to think that, you know, so many things go on. I my big question in all of this though is not are you okay with snow in September? It's are you okay with eggnog in September? Um I don't know. I I have a I have a big aversion to dairy, and also, I might my viewpoint, my worldview on this might be colored by the fact that there was a carton of eggnog that existed in this radio station's fridge from December up until April. <laughs> Whoa! Was it butter? I didn't touch it. I didn't want to touch it. And whoever left it in there, look after your life. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely love it. Uh, here, you know, the, the wild weather swings uh, in Alberta in general, in southern Alberta, because we get the Chinook weather. Uh, the Chinook is, um, is, a, is a wonderful friend. It's terrible with people who get headaches. It is a wonderful friend in the cold weather because it can be minus 20 in the morning. And it can be, um, you know, 20 degrees by the time you leave work in the day. Uh, it wreaks havoc on your head, but it is an absolute beautiful thing. But such as being a Canadian, right? Like how many seasons do we get in Canada? Eight or 10, maybe 12. Really? It's not like, it's not like some places say in California, imagine living in California where you get one season and a little bit of rain, you know, like in the, in, in Hawaii, what a beautiful place to live. But in the winter, it's 24 and in the summer it's that's not even true in the winter it's 28 and in the summer it's 32 it's just you know that's the reprieve it's just paradise the whole time paradise always like every day every day you can't take that much paradise but now like you gotta cherish the fall man we get all these colors and the trees and you know around central alberta in red deer it's one of the most beautiful things you've ever driven from Thunder Bay to Kenora up to Winnipeg, those trees changing color. It's just this endless, beautiful, holy cow, in and around Ottawa, Kingston, in the valley up there. It is just absolutely stunning in the fall. How could you live in a place that doesn't have that? This is the Shift Daily Podcast. I am lucky to have some amazing people in my life. One of them, her name is Jill McIntosh. Uh, Jill is a auto review writer um, and writes for Post Media and Trader and all of these amazing um, different places where you can geek out about cars. Plus, I would like to acknowledge Jill's own online geekery with her classic cars too and supporting women in automobiles as well. So uh, thanks, Jill, for spending a little time and popping in on the show. Well, thank you for asking me. There um, have been so many things going on. I, I'm almost kind of lost in all this. Let's just start with the Ford Bronco, Jill, because we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, now it's been a little bit more in everybody's face, but people are starting to talk about it. People are starting to see it. I know people are getting excited about it, but they're still going to have to wait a few months, aren't we? Well, it, we're actually going to, it depends on which Bronco you're talking about. The Bronco Sport 
I've actually seen that one. Uh, I was at a, um, a very limited press launch for it uh, a couple of weeks ago. And one thing to remember, there's going to be two of them. There's going to be the Bronco, which is the one everybody's talking about that, that's going to go head-to-head with the Jeep Wrangler. And that doesn't come out until next year. And then there's the Bronco Sport, which is more of a traditional SUV. It's built on the uh, on the Escape platform. That's the one that I saw in person, and we're going to see that one uh, later this year. Uh, prices on this, too, sort of fit. Now, with it being built on the Escape, does that mean, is it going to have the removable top and all the same kinds of things? No. Um, as a matter of fact, if the, if the top comes off the Bronco Sport, you've got a serious problem. All right, you're probably upside down. <laughs> you're upside down. Yeah, you, you do not want to take the doors or the top off the Bronco Sport. Um, the Bronco, yes, that's the one that you're going to be able to take the uh, take the doors off, take the roof off, take it off-road. Um, the Bronco uh, Sport is basically your average SUV, but there's going to be one called the Badlands. That's going to be the highest trim level, and it's going to have the real off-road chops. And you can probably look at that the same way you do the Jeep Cherokee Trailhawk, which is, it, it doesn't look like it would do all that great off-road, but I've taken it on some pretty challenging uh, trails, and it does a lot better than you'd think. And I'm pretty sure that the Bronco Sport Badlands is going to be the same thing. Very cool stuff. So you have a chance to live a little bit of real life uh drive it like it's real life, have a little bit of playful fun with it, but not necessarily have the uh, all of the off-road capabilities. Now, so this is interesting because so many people have said, including a friend of mine who has a Jeep Wrangler now, that, you know, the troubles with the axles and everything else, because it's being highway driven, it's not meant for that. So this could be one of those opportunities that uh, Ford and Bronco have stepped into in creating a version of this that can be a daily highway driver as well. Well, exactly. The, the way that, that Ford described it is that the people who are going to buy the Bronco Sport are the people who take their vehicle to the edge of the wilderness, and then they go in hiking or biking or, or however they go through or camping. And the people who buy the Bronco are the ones that are going to go to the edge of the wilderness, and then they're going to drive into it. So it's it, it's really aimed at, at two entirely different groups. And, and of course, both of them are going to be ended up being purchased by people who don't even, you know, their idea of off-road is maybe they miss the driveway and they drive through the flower bed. But, <laughs> uh, but, but SUVs have always been that way. It's true. It always has been a soft version, really, for the most part, which is probably good because not everybody needs, you know, hardcore 4 by 4 you know, chassis and all those things. I mean, that's probably a good idea. That seems to make sense. Oh, yeah. It, not, not everybody does. Everybody wants a vehicle that will climb a mountain, uh, there's maybe one of us that actually do that, but we want to be able to say we can. Same, same as um, I was driving a car last week that uh, the the Porsche 911 Carrera, and when I put my foot down um, just to pass somebody, the next thing I knew was I was in territory where the police would take this thing away from me if I had been caught. And I didn't intend going that that fast. It just it, it it's so smooth that you don't realize it. So here you've got a car that that has a speedometer that goes to 330 kilometers an hour, which over here you, you simply can't do. Well, it's, it's bragging rights. I got a car that'll do this. Can I do it? Oh, hell no. Mm-hmm. But you can, if you want. Oh, I can. If <laughs> I, yes, I, I, I could if I wanted to, but 
you know, legally there's no place you can do it. So tell me about the career. Did you love it? it it's an interesting, I, I've, I've always, as far as the 911 goes, it's, it, it's a great car, but I've always preferred the Boxster. I, I've never really gotten into what I call the cult of 911, where, you know, the, this is the greatest car ever built. I like the Boxster better because I just think it has a better power to weight ratio. I, I love the handling. The the Boxster is a is a ballet dancer. It, it's nimble. It, it it does everything right. The the 911 is just this brute. And if you want a brute, that, that this is the car for you. But as far as you know, handling and everyday driving and and taking the the twisties, I, I love the Boxster. Mm-hmm. And the Boxster uh, used to have that. I don't know if it still does. Had that midship engine, but versus the, you know, the 911s all were the back ass engine. Um, so that probably plays into it too. Oh, oh, no doubt. And then the the Boxster, uh, the roof goes down, and I'm fond of any car where the roof goes down if it's intended to. Right? Like, we're back to the Bronco Sport. You don't want the roof to go down, but yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah, right. Again, you don't want the roof to come off that one. No. Although the 911 Targa, I would be curious to hear about that one because I like the old classic Targas. Um, yeah, I, I haven't, dri- I haven't driven that one. The new reinvention's kind of pretty. Yeah, I haven't driven that one in quite a while. But uh, yeah, the, yeah. The, the the Targa roof is an interesting thing. All right, let's get back to trucks and talk about, uh, I think, what we should probably call this segment, which is what's in Jill's driveway today. <laughs> Jill's driveway today, as far as press cars go, I, I've, I've got two of them um, this week. I am driving a Toyota Corolla Hybrid, and I am driving a Ram 2500 Power Wagon with a 6.4 liter V8. And I'm terrified to walk in between them because I'm sure it's some space continuum rip in there between the, this fuel-sipping <laughs> hybrid and this, uh, this basically, it's an apartment building on wheels. <laughs> I'm, kind of, I'm kind of scared to walk in between them. Well, so how big is the uh, is the motor in that power wagon? It's over six, isn't it? Six point four liter, yeah, yeah. It, it's 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 pretty big. Have you considered just putting the uh, Corolla in the back of the Ram and uh, reviewing two at once? You know, I, I probably could do that, except that the, it's it's got this short little box on it, and and that's um, that's one of the things uh, with these trucks getting so big. Uh, I personally own a Dodge Ram, but it's from nineteen ninety five. And it's a it's a single cab with a an eight foot box, and you can put stuff in it. Uh, whereas mm-hmm. now everybody wants a four door pickup, and so most of them have you know five and a half or six foot box. So you can't you can't really get a lot into it. I, I think I would probably have the I'd have to put a flag on the back end of the Corolla that was hanging over the tailgate. <laughs> uh, it's a big truck. Um, it's a pretty powerful truck. I mean, trim line is nice on it. I, I'm not completely sold because I think some of the new Chevy and especially the Ford, like front ends, look really, really powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your take on the Power Wagon? And is it nimble at all, or is it just a big, big uh, hunk and toaster? It's an apartment building on wheels. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's big. I mean, and, and not to, not to, um, not to single out the Ram. Every truck today, every full size truck today is. is they're just big, stupid trucks. They're they're needlessly oversized, and they're they're um, they're getting to the point that that you know, you can't reach anything in the back. You have to climb up into them. You have to fall out of them, and and they don't need to be that big. Uh, they're they're just. I don't know. It, it's I guess it's an extension of some sort, but. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. I, I really, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the first manufacturer that blinks and actually starts bringing full-size pickup trucks down to a manageable size. Uh, the new F-150 didn't get any larger, but to Ford's credit, it didn't get any bigger either. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's a good thing. Um, and some of the other, I mean, they're all bringing in midsize trucks, which are a midsize truck today is as big as a full size truck used to be a bunch of years ago. Um, and there's not very small size trucks out there. I'm not sure if that's going to be a thing. So it will be interesting when it goes. It was a big deal this week uh, with Nikola and General Motors signing that deal. Nikola does the fuel cells for the rigs, uh, big uh, powered, uh, battery powered and fuel cells for the big rigs. Plus now they've stepped into the pickup truck world with an electric truck. So um, what are you hearing about that one? It was good for stocks. Is there is there much buzz in the car world about that one yet? I mean, we've we've certainly heard a lot about electric trucks. First of all, with the Tesla, and uh, and and Ford uh, had a prototype and now says it's doing an electric truck, and Ram has mild hybrids. Um, you're you're going to see electrification, but it's still going to be as far as a solid work truck goes. You're you're still going to have to have a gasoline engine at least for now. Um, the electric trucks, I think they're going to be more along the lines of, of the kind of daily drivers that just haul air, or as my friend likes to put it, sailboat fuel, where people just, mm-hmm. you know, they drive with, with nothing in them. They're just big cars. And there's nothing wrong with that. that. That's why I bought my truck was I wanted a big car. But uh, the, I think these electric cars or these electric trucks are going to feed into the the love of pickups that consumers have, but there's still going to be a market for people who need to really work their trucks, and that's not electricity right yet. No, that's uh, we're still far away away. Now, fuel cells, um, there's more and more conversation about hydrogen fuel cells in, in vehicles because uh, the batteries are dying quickly. Um, there are problems there, um, but hydrogen isn't something that everyone just keeps in a bottle in the basement, you know, because that whole nuclear thing. So um, there is some more conversation around that. Fuel cells, they've been around for a while. um, And the the big problem is, as you mentioned, is infrastructure. Uh, A fuel cell vehicle is basically an electric car that that makes its own electricity. Uh, It uh, it uses the hydrogen in uh, in a chemical reaction to create electricity. And the big problem is infrastructure. Um, I don't have a hydrogen fueling station by me, and most people don't. And, and the few places that they have these are in areas where hydrogen has been, uh, hydrogen stations have been set up. And it's kind of chicken and egg. Um, nobody's buying a hydrogen car because there's no place to fuel it. Nobody's putting in hydrogen fueling stations because there's nobody buying it. Uh, as far as hydrogen goes, it is possible to make it uh, with um, with wind or solar power. You can make it cleanly. Right now, a lot of it is is still a, hydrogen is still a dirty fuel in in some places where it's made. It has great potential, but we need the infrastructure. And without that, it's it's just going to be a, a a small and I mean not even a, a zero zero percentage of the the overall market. Well, if you look at charging stations alone, I mean, the infrastructure around just electric charging stations has been incredibly difficult. It's hard to go on a drive between Vancouver to Calgary and Calgary to Winnipeg and be able to guarantee that you can charge up your vehicle along the way. So, um, you know, that that's clearly, clearly an issue. So imagine that 
into the realm of, of, you know, the fuel cells. Right. But, but the one advantage that fuel cells have over charging stations is that uh, even on a fast charge, uh, you're going to be looking at, at 15 to 30 minutes charging. And that's providing that nobody is already at the charging station and you've got to wait their 30 minutes and then your 30 minutes and you're there for, you know, an hour or whatever. Uh, hydrogen, you can refuel a hydrogen cell fuel car in about the same time it takes to fill with gas, fill, fill a conventional car with gasoline. So if we can get that infrastructure going, this this does seem like an easier way to to refuel the vehicle versus plugging in and sitting there until the battery charges. But again, there, there's a lot more. There aren't that many charging stations, and there's more of those than there are hydrogen stations. I have been looking at an electric, um, the range extender i3. Um, the battery replacement cost was so incredibly high. Um, I was quoted like thirty nine thousand dollars. Um, and then you dig into, there's not very many gas over electrics for the extended range electrics these days. The batteries are getting better. My buddy has a Tesla. He's lost more than 20 kilometers this year on his Tesla on recharge hybrid. Uh, even Sir Christopher here on the show, he agrees maybe hybrid for him. Um, hybrid still seems to be the way to go. And you've got that Corolla sitting there. Where does it sit with you? I, I like hybrids. Um, Right now, I'm I'm getting uh, about 3.9 liters to 100 in it, um, and and it probably would have been a little bit lower, except that I I took a long um, uh, highway trip in it. But the one thing I can see becoming even more popular, at least in cities, are, are plug-in hybrids. And what they do is you plug them in, you charge the uh, the battery in it, a separate battery. And you run on that electricity, and then when that electricity runs out, the car uh, then becomes uh, a conventional hybrid running on gasoline electricity. And most of them, I, I just drove the um, the all new uh, Toyota Rav4 Prius Prime, or pardon me, Toyota Rav4 Prime, which is a Rav4 hybrid, but you can plug it in. And I was extremely impressed with it. I was on the highway doing we'll say just slightly above the, the posted speed limit, completely on electricity. I got about um, 55 kilometers on electricity before we went back to gas and electric. Well, if I'm at home and I'm plugging this thing home in at night, you know, when I'm, when I'm done, 55 kilometers is an awful long way if you're running errands or if you've got a, a, you know, an average commute. A lot of people can go on electricity only with these vehicles. And then if they want to drive across Canada, as long as they got gas in the tank, they don't have to charge it up. It'll still get them where they're going. And I think that they're probably going to be the next big thing. Audi had the e-tron and that's what it was at first. It was a right. plug-in hybrid that you recharge. Now it wasn't very successful in that you didn't get a lot out of it. But I mean, that's where they were, and they've—I think—they've taken the e-tron fully electric now. So it's kind of ironic that maybe they're too far ahead of the curve, or they pulled the proverbial shoot too soon. That—that uh, that might be it. The other thing is that there—there there is um, there is a price premium on a on a plug-in hybrid, and it's still a, a it's still a little bit of a hard sell because people always overestimate, and we're back to you know the. The, everybody wants a car that'll climb a mountain, even though they never do. Everybody wants a car that's going to get 3,000 kilometers on electricity, even though they only 
maybe put 25 kilometers a day on their cars. So right. a lot of people are looking at it and saying, well, you know, 25, 30 kilometers, and again, that's getting better, but, you know, 20 kilometers on, on, on electricity or 30 kilometers on electricity, well, that doesn't take me very far. And they don't seem to realize, well, that is how far you drive every day. And, and so you've, you've mm. really got to look at these things and, and figure out if it's the right vehicle for you. Well, on day after day, you could be upwards of 1,000 kilometers, which could be a tank and a half, I mean, in, you know, after a month, right? So you take all that, you add it up, it starts to, um, it does start to change things a little bit. It's interesting. Uh, Jill McIntosh, uh, throw out your websites where everyone can get, um, can get connected with you, Jill. I do. You can look for me at uh, womanonwheels.ca. Jill McIntosh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Tune into the show online or on the radio.